Section 20 of U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency Aldrich Plan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Pyle. U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency Aldrich Plan by Alfred Owen Crozier. Chapter 17 Crime of Conspiracy. Forty thousand bank officers and directors, each liable to ten thousand dollars fine and ten years imprisonment. The reason the Ten Commandments announced by Moses, or some of them, are constantly violated by so many people, is because the penalty prescribed will be inflicted in the next world, perhaps, instead of in this. The chances of punishment are too slim and remote. That is the precise reason why so many distinguished bankers break the laws of the land over and over, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. For instance, in his official report of December 4, 1911, the U.S. Comptroller on page 22, quoted in the preceding chapter, charges that on September 1, 1911, 59.87% of all national banks were violating four separate provisions of the national bank law, vis-a-vis -vis sections 5137, 5191, 5200, and 5202, prohibiting loans on real estate, inadequate cash reserves, excessive loans to borrowers, and excessive indebtedness by banks, respectively. No penalty whatsoever against bank officers and directors committing such offenses against the law is prescribed in the National Bank Act. These restrictions were imposed by law for the protection of depositors, and the good of the community to make banks more sound. Every time these provisions of law are broken, it is a menace to the safety of depositors and the public welfare, and every offense is committed knowingly by officers and directors for profit. There are severe penalties, fine, and imprisonment for offenses like embezzlement by subordinates against the interest of banks, but no penalties are imposed upon officers and directors who ignore and violate practically every provision of law enacted to protect depositors and the public. As the system was devised and framed by the financiers, this condition, of course, was not accidental. For almost 50 years, bank influence and intrigue has prevented Congress enacting amendments in the public interest, recommended by comptrollers of the currency, who had full sworn information showing criminal conduct and contempt for law by a large percent of banks and bankers. On the other hand, the National Bank Act again and again has been amended at the insistence of banks at the insistence of banks to increase their immunities, profits, and power. Deputy Comptroller of the Currency Kane has been retained in office for years by different administrations because of his high ability and integrity, expert knowledge and skill. In a public interview reported in the Washington Post of March 21, 1908, cited by Senator La Follette in his speech of March 24, 1908, in the U.S. Senate, Mr. Kane said, while numerous have been the recommendations of the eleven comptrollers who have presided over the affairs of the Currency Bureau since its establishment, which in the judgment of each would have increased the security of the depositors and creditors of the banks, practically none has been enacted into law or has received the serious consideration of the legislative branch of the government. No one has better opportunities to observe from an impartial and disinterested standpoint the practical operation of the banking laws and to note their weak features in regard to the security of creditors than the respective comptrollers of currency. Notwithstanding this indisputable fact, and the many recommendations made by the several comptrollers, 
there has been practically no amendment of the law since the passage of the original bank act of february twenty fifth eighteen sixty three which can be said to have had for its object the particular welfare of the depositor of the fifty four acts amendatory of the original enactment which have been adopted since that date practically all have been in the interest of greater latitude or privileges to the banks the remedies suggested for the many unsatisfactory conditions of which the national banking laws are primarily responsible may be found in the recommendations made from time to time by the comptrollers of the currency in the forty-five annual reports submitted to congress since the establishment of the currency bureau and until supplied by legislative enactment the responsibility should rest where it properly belongs upon the law and the lawmakers and not upon the administrative officials this is a terrible indictment of the political and legislative activity of the bank wall street political combine made by the one man in the united states who best knows the facts and has daily access to the confidential reports of the comptroller's office that startlingly show the duplicity graft and crime of the bankers during much of this long period of nearly fifty years one individual posing as a public servant has been the pliant tool of the interests that man as chairman of the senate finance committee has come into official possession of practically every bill to strengthen and improve the banking system he seems to have suppressed them all now that man former senator aldrich is posing as the great apostle of reform to improve the banking and currency systems a leopard cannot change its spots or an ethiopian his skin and aldrich cannot and has not changed he is still betraying the people and the public welfare into the hands of banks and wall street the pending central bank bill he once passed as a monument to his name and public record it would be appropriate for it is by far the most crafty selfish subtle unpatriotic evil daring and dangerous measure introduced into congress since the republic was created it is the fitting end and climax of such a treasonable career the only remedy the national bank act provides is the possible forfeiture of charter by the bank for violation of the provisions of the law section fifty two thirty nine reads if the directors of any national banking association shall knowingly violate or knowingly permit any of the officers agents or servants of the association to violate any of the provisions of this title all the rights privileges and franchises of the association shall be thereby forfeited such violation shall however be determined and adjudged by a proper circuit district or territorial court of the united states and a suit brought for that purpose by the comptroller of the currency in his own name before the association shall be declared dissolved and in cases of such violation every director who participated in or assented to the same shall be held liable in his personal and individual capacity for all damages which the association is shareholders or any other person shall have sustained in consequence of such violation the comptroller's report clearly shows that on september first nineteen eleven just four thousand three hundred eighty nine of the seven thousand three hundred and thirty one national banks under said section fifty two thirty nine legally had forfeited their charters only two thousand nine hundred and forty two banks being then within the law but the clever genius who drafted that section carefully provided that no bank should be declared dissolved until the comptroller personally in his own name had instituted suit in court and prosecuted same to judgment if the comptroller refuses or neglects to act all the banks are safe and immune under the act even if all such banks as they do daily violate 
every such provision of law. There is no power in the law or under the government to punish or to bring to justice or to forfeit the charter of a bank if the comptroller will not proceed. He is the autocrat over all banks and above the law. The very life of over half of the banks is in his hands, and each justly merits the death penalty. Yet year after year passes, comptroller after comptroller comes and goes. The banks, a majority of them, laugh at the penaltyless laws, and go on violating for gain the statutes of the United States, and nothing is done to remedy the rotten condition or to bring the offenders to justice. Why? Is the explanation partly in the fact that many comptrollers go from their faithless public service and immediately become president or an officer of some bank at a salary many times greater than that paid them by the government? What paralyzed their official conduct? Were some of them bribed in office by the promise or hope of subsequent high position in private life? Or were they bribed with office before they were appointed on the understanding that they would enforce the law against employees of banks but not against bankers? Does it go still higher? Is it possible that sometimes the lawless banks in advance have bargained for immunity in exchange for nationwide bank political support with a candidate or prospective candidate for president or with his political managers, the banks to name the comptroller and perhaps the secretary of the treasury? It is a serious thing even to think about, but there is some reason why banks and bankers are always exempt while all other people must obey the law or be pursued by the entire power of the government and brought to justice. This is not intended to reflect on the present comptroller. Ryder has means of knowing that he is honest and fearless, and has been making an almost desperate effort to induce or force the banks to keep within the law, and this apparently without the proper support of the present administration. And his brave and courageous public denunciation of bank graft and crime and criminals in his official report and is showing from the record the extent of violations, is almost providential. Coming at this time when the banks brazenly are trying to induce Congress to turn over to them some of the greatest functions of government, practically giving to the lawless banks power to regulate themselves for the next 50 years. It is a hard place to put a comptroller, for better than anyone else he knows the imperial, political, and legislative power of the banks and their ability to punish any comptroller who may refuse to do the will of the banks instead of his sworn public duty. Section 5147 reads, Each director, when appointed or elected, shall take an oath that he will, so far as the duty devolves on him, diligently and honestly administer the affairs of such association, and will not knowingly violate any of the provisions of this title, and that he is the owner in good faith, and in his own right, of the number of shares of stock required by this title, subscribed by him, or standing in his name on the books of the association, and that the same is not hypothecated or in any way pledged as security for any loan or debt. Such oath, subscribed by the director making it, and certified by the officer before whom it is taken, shall be immediately transmitted to the comptroller of the currency and shall be filed and preserved in his office. This clever bank act was put through Congress with the attention of the public, and Congress was absorbed by the daily events of the Civil War. It was moral, if not legal, treason to take advantage of the government at such a time. The joker in the above-quoted oath is this. A prosecution for perjury can be maintained only for false swearing as to a past or present fact, not future official conduct. If the director did not own the shares he swore he did, he could be sent to jail for perjury. 
but if he continuously violates his oath of office, commits treason to his sacred trust, as a majority of bank officers and directors do, the penalty for perjury cannot be inflicted. The President of the United States might be impeached, but could not be punished for perjury if he violated his oath of office. But there is no one in the bank to move impeachment of an offending director. For all our particeps criminis, cooperate in the violations are guilty of the same offense. And impeachment of bank officers is not authorized by law. Excessive loans, illegal real estate loans, inadequate cash reserves, and excessive indebtedness by the bank usually are impossible, except with the knowledge and consent of practically all of the officers and often the directors of the bank, particularly so when it goes on continuously year after year. The fact is, such matters are deliberately done or winked at because most directors have become such solely to obtain favors from the bank for enterprises or corporations in which they are financially interested. That almost universal condition is the curse and greatest evil and danger of the present banking system. In a broad sense, they are conspirators, not bankers. With no penalties against bankers in the National Bank Act and friendly comptrollers to protect the banks against forfeiture of their charters, and with a statute of limitations outlawing offenses after three years, the national banking system, steeped in lawlessness, graft, and crime, has gone on for nearly half a century scot-free and immune. The law-defying beneficiaries are constantly seeking richer legislative exemptions and privileges as they grow inordinately rich, often by the fruits of graft and crime. In their fancied security, shielded by the significant omission of the usual penalties from the bank statute, they have overlooked another statute that may cause them a rude awakening and at last bring them to justice. Crime of Conspiracy Section 5440 of the United States Revised Statutes in the New Code is as follows. Section 37. If two or more persons conspire either to commit an offense against the United States or to defraud the United States in any manner or for any purpose, and one or more of such parties do not act to affect the object of the conspiracy, each of the parties to such conspiracy shall be fined not more than $10,000 or imprisoned not more than two years or both. Under this section and the court decisions, there is not the slightest doubt that every participating officer and director of the 4,389 offending national banks is legally guilty of the crime of conspiracy, and that there is, in the Comptroller's office and elsewhere, ample evidence to indict, arrest, convict, and punish by a fine not exceeding $10,000, or imprisonment not more than two years, or both, more than 40,000 bank officers and directors nor will the statute of limitations aid them to escape justice. The courts have decided that in a continuing conspiracy of this character, the three years begins to run only from the last act by any one of the conspirators pertaining to the subject matter of the conspiracy. It is clearly an offense against the United States to violate any law of the United States, whether there is a prescribed penalty for such violation or not, and two or more persons conspire to commit an offense against the United States every time bank officers or directors violate the National Bank Act. The Supreme Court decisions make this fact clear. Ignorance of the law excuses no man. Even if the offending bankers have overlooked this drastic statute imposing severe penalties for the crime of conspiracy, they are entitled to no sympathy or mercy. They admit under oath that they have repeatedly treated the authority of the government with contempt and they violated the laws of this land because they thought there was no effective punishment provided. Atwell on Federal Criminal Law on page 219 says, 
A conspiracy, as commonly understood, is a corrupt agreeing together of two or more persons to do, by concerted action, something unlawful, either as a means or an end. The word corrupt as used means unlawful. The intendment of this definition is that to conspire to do an unlawful act, or to conspire to accomplish a result which may in itself be lawful, but to do it in an unlawful manner, or an unlawful agreement to accomplish an unlawful result, are conspiracies. The unlawful combination may be expressly proven, or it may be provable from concerted action in itself unlawful. If one join the conspiracy at any time after the formation of the conspiracy, he becomes a conspirator, and the acts of the others become his by adoption. That there is or may be a difference between the punishment prescribed in this section and that prescribed in the statute that the conspiracy was formed to violate is immaterial. Congress has the power, says the Supreme Court of the United States in Clune v. United States, 159 U.S. 590, to enact a statute making a conspiracy to do an act punishable more severely than the doing of the act itself. The power exists to separate the offenses and to affix distinct and independent penalties to each. As above indicated, there need be no proof of the express agreement. The full measure of the law is met if the facts and circumstances indicate with the requisite lawful certainty the existence of a preconcerted plan. Riley v. United States, 106 Federal, 896, U.S. v. Cassidy, 67 Federal, 698, U.S. v. Barrett, 65 Federal, 62, U.S. v. Wilson, 60 Federal, 890, U.S. v. Newton, 52 Federal, 275, U.S. v. Satia, 2 Federal, 754. So under the same authorities, it need only be shown that one or more of the overt acts charged in the indictment have been committed, and that they were done in furtherance of the conspiracy. Federal Statutes Annotated, Volume 2, page 250. Textbooks and courts unite in the proposition that where there is prima facie showing of conspiracy, all of the acts done, and all of the declarations made in pursuance of the originally concerted plan, and with reference to the common object by any one of the conspirators, are admissible against all. The above is a verbatim quotation from the leading textbook on federal criminal law, and is an authority recognized by the courts. And the definition of conspiracy given and the matters incidental thereto above described are all fully sustained by the Supreme Court of the United States in the cases cited and by many other cases. Every national bank must have at least five directors. Some have as high as 20 or more. The National City Bank of New York has 23, and the National Bank of Commerce 40. The average number of directors of each of the various national banks, no doubt, is at least 10. This would seem to indicate that there are at least 43,890 directors of the 4,389 national banks officially accused by the United States Comptroller in his report of December 4, 1911 of violating the laws of the United States. Besides, many officers not directors are also involved. The total number of bankers and directors implicated and thus officially charged with the crime of conspiracy by a high federal official must exceed 40,000. No doubt a large portion of these offending directors have participated in these acts either ignorantly or thoughtlessly, trusting the bank officers and blindly doing what they are directed. Unfortunately for them, this does not relieve such persons from legal guilt and liability. If they have as directors aided or consented, 
to the making of just one illegal loan or the doing of just one illegal act or omission by the bank they are under the law guilty of the crime of conspiracy and liable to indictment arrest conviction and a fine not exceeding ten thousand dollars and not more than two years imprisonment or both and each separate violation may be considered a separate and distinct conspiracy carrying the same penalty as some banks are committing such offenses almost daily every participating officer and director is accumulating penalties that if enacted as sometimes surely they will be if the lawless practices continue it may ruin him financially and even force him to spend much of the balance of his life in prison as a condemned criminal does it pay to be mixed up in such a dangerous mess this accurate and plain statement of the law and the liability can be verified by any director who will consult his legal adviser on the subject it is here put forward as a friendly and timely warning to the thousands of honorable and patriotic businessmen who have been induced by bankers to accept directorships and thus give the bank the benefit of their influence and the profit of their accounts and business and who have put implicit but mistaken faith and confidence in the honor and wisdom of the bankers managing the institutions carelessly and unquestioningly complying with their requests and blindly acquiescing in their decisions they have been misled and put in a position of grave personal danger by the bankers whom they trusted and who knew the law and the fact that it was being violated there are no extenuating circumstances excusing most offending bank officials because they know the condition of the bank at all times and make frequent sworn reports to the comptroller of the currency and from such reports that official shows that over half of all national banks are guilty for a director who is really honest and patriotic at heart and desires in fact to be a law-abiding citizen instead of a confessed criminal there is but two honorable courses one tell the bank officers who have deceived and led him into danger just what he thinks of their conduct and then resign from the board two purge the bank of all criminal lawlessness by forcing the immediate resignation of every official whose past conduct has shown a willingness to ignore and violate the provisions of the law and thereby subjected directors to the danger of successful criminal prosecution and brought the institution and the banking system into contempt and public disgrace every honest director owes it to the community the government the depositors who have trusted him and to himself and his family to act promptly and courageously and thus so far as possible cure the grave ills that have grown up largely because of his carelessness and lack of thought and attention about important matters for which he voluntarily became morally and legally responsible as the comptroller has made his sweeping charges without naming the particular offending banks the two thousand nine hundred and forty two honestly conducted banks should insist on the guilty banks being named if not punished so that the unjust suspicion may not cause the innocent banks to suffer because of these lawless acts of the guilty that would be simple justice a public congressional investigation of the national banking system is now justified and necessary and the best means for acquitting innocent banks and fixing the blame upon the guilty honest and upright bankers should join in the demand for such a public investigation as more than half of all national banks are officially shown to be guilty of intentional lawlessness and their officers and directors guilty of criminal conspiracy under the statutes of the united states it will be patriotic and the part of wisdom for all honest and honorable bankers and directors to oppose the aldrich plan for now increasing the profits and power of the banks by giving them ownership of the proposed national reserve association that is to control the public currency and entire money supply of the country they should promptly and vigorously join with the people in demanding that the institution 
be absolutely owned and controlled by the government of the United States. This course alone will prevent their neighbors and friends and the people generally believing that they are willing parties to the conspiracy of the big banks and Wall Street to rob the people and the government of their rights and powers for the graft, profit, and advantage of lawlessness and selfish private interests. If state banks and trust companies are wise, they will oppose this, will you come into my parlor, said a spider to the fly, Aldrich proposition. They have nothing to gain and everything to lose by this lion and lamb merger, for they must play the part of the lamb. They will not desire to join this national bank Wall Street conspiracy and cause the people to believe that they are as selfish and criminal and unpatriotic as the majority of national banks. And state banks and trust companies cannot afford to allow national banks thus to increase their profit and power and their advantage over state institutions. National banks would entice away the deposits of state institutions by advertising that national banks alone are panic-proof. On the other hand, it would be a great benefit and advantage, and no disadvantage, to state banks and trust companies to be allied with a giant Central Reserve Association or currency-issuing body, provided same was a public institution owned and controlled by the government and strictly regulated by law. The crime of conspiracy statute above quoted that has been violated by about 40,000 bank officers and directors, is the identical statute under which 54 labor union members recently were indicted and arrested or prosecuted by the United States government under direction of the president. In one case, it was conspiracy to violate the federal law regulating banks, and in the other, it was conspiracy to violate the federal law against transporting dynamite on railway trains. Justice must be impartial. Can the government justly or safely put the stripes on the few misguided working men and let the many offending bankers go free? End of chapter 17. Recording by Chris Pyle.